Yeah. 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 Welcome, friends. Good to see you here at our PM Forum this afternoon. It's great that you're with us. Our kids are going to leave us soon, but I'm going to introduce our topic at our forum today, Christianity and Education. Respected Australian historian Geoffrey Blaney writes this. He says, The future of the nation and its people depends on the effectiveness of our schools, colleges and universities. The standard of living and the quality of life, especially intellectual and cultural life, also rely on the education we give and receive. This is something that many of us would agree with, that in Australia education is seen as something that is vital. We want education. We want it for our children, our children's children. We indeed, many of us, want public education. But here at a church this afternoon, we're discussing education in a world which wants public education but private religion. Religion, for some, has no place in education at all. In fact, for some, it's the way to get rid of religion because the problem is that people simply aren't educated enough and that's why they grab hold of religious and superstitious ideas. You only need religion if you don't understand science, you don't understand history and you don't understand critical thinking. However, science is a great material force, but we know that science is not a teacher of morals. Healthy Harold is great, but is there, are there more things more fundamental to the moral formation of our kids other than recycling, for example? Education has been a pillar of Western society from its very first moments. A great story is told by Plato, the philosopher, 300 years before Jesus. He tells his story about men and women trapped in a cave. They're chained in this cave and all they can see is the walls of the cave and shadows that come into those walls. And it's not until they're released from this cave that they come to encounter what the source of these shadows is, the sun. See, they thought that they had understanding in seeing those shadows on the wall of the cave. But it wasn't until they saw the sun that they had knowledge. It wasn't until until they saw the sun that they had the truth. And so knowledge is something that we as Western people really value. Learning has a wonder to it. Uh, Learning and knowledge, in fact, we would say, has a power to it. For those early Christians, a new light had begun to shine. A small breakaway group in the first century from Judaism was audacious enough to claim that God was now present to every person or every believer through faith, and therefore potentially to every person. God was accessed now not by status, but by humility knowledge and character combined in the very early understanding of Christianity. And unlike Plato, who saw that education and knowledge was just available for the elite, Christians saw that education, in fact, was necessary for everyone. Christianity, from its very start, had embedded into it the concept of knowledge and formation. The Apostle Paul says this, 
He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Fundamental to Christian faith was knowledge and a knowledge of God which shaped all knowledge. And that's why even today the most esteemed education uh, institutions, say for example Oxford, Cambridge, Yale and Harvard, all started as institutions for the education of Christian ministers. But what about Australia? How has Christianity shaped education in Australia? And what might its contribution be in the future? That's what's before us this afternoon at our PM Forum. We're delighted to have Roy Willis, Roy with us. So why don't we give him a clap and welcome him. Just a couple of uh, housekeeping things. Our kids are, are about to head off to their kids' program with Wayne. Dinner will be provided for them and you can pick them up in the hall after uh, things close here at 6pm. I'll invite the kids to head out with Wayne, who's up the back. Why don't you head up the back, kids? Uh, some of them are already out there, but if you're around, why don't you head up the back? We have, as you saw on your way in, I hope some books of Roy's for sale. Uh, we're selling those this afternoon and you can get Roy uh, to sign them if you'd like. We'll also, after the conclusion of Roy's talk, have an extended Q&A, an opportunity for you to engage with Roy. Um, so as he's speaking, there might be questions that you have that you can note down. There's pens in the back of some of those chairs. Uh, any questions you have, we'll take questions for an extended period of time at the conclusion of Roy's talk. Also, you'll see a comment card. Uh, if you'd like to follow up this event by providing for us any comments, uh, hopefully you've got one of those cards. There's more up the back, and you can pop them in the white box on the way out. I'll, I'll remind you of that at the end. Well, I'm going to invite Roy up the front now because I'd like to get to know him and like for you to get to know him uh, before he comes to speak to us on Christianity and education. Roy, thanks so much for making the way out from the northern beaches to the heat of the inner west. It's good to have you here this afternoon. Um, I want to ask, what were you like as a kid growing up? What was growing up like for Roy Williams? Well, it was, it was fun. Uh, I grew up in Sydney uh, on the North Shore, in fact, a suburb called Linfield, and uh, it was a pretty ordinary uh, Aussie childhood. Um, so I was born in 1963, so we're talking as far as my memory goes back, late, late 60s, 70s and, and early 80s. Uh, I didn't grow up in a religious home. My parents weren't Christians. My, they're still not. My brother and sister aren't Christians. Um, so my, my childhood was very much dominated by all the usual things uh, for Australian boys. Sport, study, girls. Roughly equal importance. <laughs> Great. And I, I never went to church. Right, okay. Um, but you're, you have um, Christian faith now. You identify yourself as a Christian person, even though that's not, that wasn't part of your upbringing. Can you tell us what brought about that change in your thinking? Um, 
Yeah, tell us a little about, bit about how you came to embrace Christianity. Sure, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you the very short version. Um, after I left school, I went to Sydney University, studied law, and for my sins, I practised law for, uh, for about 20 years. Um, it was when I was in my mid-30s, so I was married and uh, my first daughter had been born. And when she was about four and I was 35, I decided she ought to go to Sunday school. And I took her along to the local... My wife and I weren't churchgoers, but I just decided she ought to go to Sunday school. My idea probably was just to drop her off at the door and leave her there and go off and have a quiet Sunday morning. Uh, but f- fortunately for me, the, um, the elders at the local, pres- it was a Presbyterian church, said, look, we really, we love, great to have you, welcome, uh, love to have hope, that was my daughter's name, um, but we really frown upon parents just sort of ditching their children and, and going off, so... Could someone please stay? So I, I drew the short straw, so to speak, and said, all right, I'll, I'll stay. And to cut a very long story short, um, very quickly I just got interested, sitting up the back of the church. Frankly, I was only half listening to the, to the minister in the early stages, but I dipped into the Bible in the pew and just started reading it, reading bits of the New Testament, and I... I realised very, very early in the piece how ignorant I was, that I knew nothing or next to nothing about the most important questions of all, even, even though I, I'd assumed and thought that I was a well-educated person and, and was in, in many other respects. Um, so I, I sort of read my way into it. Um, but as I say, that, that's a long story, but that's, that's the gist of it. <clears throat> Uh, and tell us uh, what you're up to at the moment. What does life look like for you? Well, I, about uh, 10 years ago, a bit over 10 years ago, I, I gave away the practice of law and um, started to write books. And I've, I've, So I've racked up four. Um, but I've gone back to teaching law at Sydney University. So, so I, am, I can claim to be a teacher uh, in that respect, I, I lecture and tutor in law, and um, I'm still trying in between to to, con- to continue to write books and and newspaper articles and things like that. So uh, my life is much happier uh, since I left the law, but um, I'm poorer but happier. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we're delighted that you can be with us this afternoon, and so. I invite you to deliver our talk this afternoon on Christianity and education. Give him a clap again. Thanks. Well, thank you, Stu. Thank you, thank you very much for having me. Lovely to see you here. Um, I'm told by Stu that uh, we have in the room uh, a mixture, a mixture of people, some of whom are Christians and some of whom are not. And that's great uh, because I can relate very much to to both. Uh, as I've just said, I was not a Christian for the first 35 years of my life. For the last 20, I have been. So I know where both, both sides are coming from, so to speak. Um, so we, we, we don't agree on all things, but perhaps we can agree 
on some important questions. I'd be surprised if anyone in the room thought that the list of questions I'm now going to pose are not important ones. Is there a God? So in other words, uh, is the universe just, just an accident, came from nowhere, came from nothing? Or was it created, was it made by a higher power of some sort? So what are the arguments for and against that idea? And, and where do the findings of modern science stand in all of that? Stu, Stu alluded to that in his opening. So that's one batch of questions. Is there a God? Second basic question, why does it matter? My father, very educated man, elderly man now, after 80 odd years, his answer is, well, I just don't know if there's a God. I actually think, he's not an atheist, but nor is he a believer. I think his answer is, well, I don't know. And it's, it's too hard. It's too hard a question. But I, I would say to him, that's a cop-out. It does matter. It does matter because there's a flow-on effect to everything else. If there is a God, the vital question is, well, there's a lot of them. But I think the vital question is, what does that God expect of me? How does he want me to live my life? What does he expect of the human race in general, of, of individual countries, individual societies? How does he want us to live and, and even more crucially how are we supposed to know that's another batch of questions third batch of questions and I, I don't want to sound too morbid uh, but frankly it's a big one what's going to happen when I die what's going to happen to the people I love when they die? Is, is death just the end of everything? In which case, why is it something to fear? But if it's, if it's not the end of everything, then what is in store for us all in that, in that afterlife? Perhaps the afterlife is something actually to look forward to rather than to fear or be indifferent about. Hmm. The fourth batch of questions uh, again relates to things that Stu touched upon in his, um, in his introduction. What, what's religion? I'm going to use the term religion, but uh, and in Australia, historically, that has meant Christianity, although that is changing, of course. Christianity is still the dominant religion, but other of the great world religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, the big three, are now playing a part in our society. So just, just bear that in the back of your mind. Um, big question, what's religion ever done for humanity? 
What's it ever done for Australia? Isn't it just overall a bad thing? A cause of wars? Uh, a barrier to social progress? That's a very common stance now taken by an increasing number of Australians, especially among the younger generations. So, they're all, they're all good questions and I think we can all agree they're all important questions and, and they're all hard questions. Now, my basic argument this afternoon is this. Most young Australians, by the time they become, leave school and become young adults are not in a position to answer them. I wasn't. I know I wasn't when I left school. And I went exclusively to state schools. I'm proud of that fact. In many ways I was lucky. In many ways I got a great education. But I came out of that state schooling, and for that matter out of Sydney University, five years later, uh, clued up in plenty of things, but completely ignorant of the most important questions. I was not in a position to answer any of those questions that, I, that I've gone through in an informed way. And I suggest to you that a massively high percentage of Australian children and young adults, I'm talking about people who've reached some degree of maturity, you know, 16, 17, 18, they don't even know the right questions to answer, let alone what the answers might be, let alone how to find the answers and then, and then think about them, because they haven't been taught them. It's as simple as that. They are not taught. And that applies not only in state schools, but I'm sad to say in far too many independent schools and so-called church schools as well. So you have to have a... So, you often hear it said, oh, look, we can't ram religion down the throats of children. That's, that's unfair. That's positively immoral. That's evil. You hear that said and written a lot. My answer is, then, then when, else, when else are children going to learn it? Because by the time you reach young, young adulthood... Uh, nowadays you've got all sorts of other things to worry about and the average person just doesn't bother. They, they drift through life. Life is busy. Life is hard. I know this because I lived it myself until the age of 35. You just, you just have always got something else to think about or, or you believe you do so you don't bother. Most young Australians don't bother and it's not their fault by and large because they haven't been taught the right questions. So what we get, and this is true not just of Australia but of all countries across the Western world, we get, we get irreligion by default, not by choice, not by informed decision, by default. It's a very, very different thing to people wrestling with the issues conscientiously and then genuinely coming to the belief no, I, there's no God, I'm sure of that. 
Most people never do that. They, they just don't ask the questions. Well, they like to think they have, but they haven't truly grappled with them. And as I say, that, that was my own experience uh, until the age of 35. Um, and even after my conversion, and I wrote a book, it's the red one up on the back table, I wrote a book to try and explain to my friends and relatives and colleagues at work uh, what had happened to me because so many of them said things to me like this, Roy, uh, mate, you're about the last person in the world I would have expected to fall for all this nonsense. You know, you're a, you've got a great job, you know, you're a hotshot lawyer, you're a, you're a father, um, what the hell are you doing? People very close to me said that to me in no uncertain terms and um, ultimately led to me writing my first book because I, I realised my early answers were pretty lame and I wanted to be able to say, well, you really want my answers? Here they are. <laughs> but then a few years later I realised that although I, was, although I had a Christian faith, I was still incredibly ignorant of the role that Christianity had played in my own country. I didn't understand the history of my own country. So I wrote two more books. Um, one of them was about our prime ministers uh, since Federation. I, I looked at each individual person and assessed their religious beliefs. And I was really surprised at the results. Uh, the vast majority believed in God. Many were serious Christians. And that cut across both of the main parties and all eras, from Federation right to the present day. Mm. Um, and even, even among the relatively few who were not believers, all of them took religion seriously. So even the agnostics, people like our first Prime Minister, Edmund Barton, and people like Bob Hawke and Gough Whitlam, even though they ultimately weren't practising Christians, they were steeped in it. They knew all about it. They weren't ignorant, as a majority of Australians are today. So I thought that was interesting, and that whetted my appetite. Gee, if all of our past leaders at least took it seriously... Uh, Maybe all of us ought to be taking it seriously. And then I thought, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to delve into this further. So I ended up writing a history of Australia, in effect. That's the yellow book, Postcognition. And chap chapter six of that book is about education, which is one of my number one uh, loves. And one thing I did in the book was trace the history of education in Australia and I'll touch a little upon that uh, today. I want to leave a lot of time for questions because... So I'm therefore not going to give a sort of factual lecture. What I have done is supply this handout, um, which I hope all of you will take away. It's kind of about a, an eight-page synopsis of the entire book. So what I do in this handout is make a whole lot of assertions that some of you may think are ridiculous... But I, st I stand prepared to back any and all of them up. Um, it's a list of things that we owe to Christianity. 
that we all as citizens of the Western world and Australians ultimately owe to the Christian church. Now, none of this is to, to deny the many sins and failings of the churches over the centuries and of certainly of individual Christians, but what I'm here to try and argue is that overall the legacy is a magnificent one and it goes to such basic things as science itself. Stu said earlier, um, a lot of modern unbelievers and critics of the churches use science as one of their number one arguments. Science has disproved religion, just rendered it ridiculous, not just false, but absurd. Um, one thing they forget is that the scientific method itself is a product of Christianity. That is, that is an historical fact. All The men who invented science as we know it through 15th through 17th centuries roughly, the vast majority were extremely devout Christians. Mm. That's just one little fact out of, out of many. So in those two books I was trying to rebut the argument that um, Christianity's either been irrelevant to Australia or, and a lot of people try to argue both, it's irrelevant or it's been a positively harmful, malignant, evil force in our history and needs to be just, if possible, eradicated. Mm. People who say that just do not know their history, in my opinion, and a lot of the time it's not their fault. It's because they haven't been taught properly from the time they were children. All right. I'm just going to, just to whet your appetites, hopefully, um, just a few little facts, a few little statistics about Australia, about our own country. Australia's never been thought of as a particularly religious country. Um, that's another myth that's been prevalent. Um, Australians have never taken Christianity very seriously, as a whole. Um, it's quite untrue. You go back to the, go back to the first fleet itself and uh, Sydney town in the first 20 years. How did it survive? How did the children who were born here grow up to be good citizens. Everyone agrees that one of the miracles of early Sydney is that that, that first generation, the children, the native-born, as they were called, or the currency lads and lasses, was another name for them. Most of them were the children of convict women. They had a wide variety of fathers. Um, it was mainly their mothers who brought them up. How, how did they... How did they turn into good citizens? Because they did. Every, everyone accepted that. And one glaring fact stands out, apart from the great job their mothers did. The churches educated them. There were no schools other than those supplied by the churches. 
At the beginning, it was mainly the Church of England, the Anglican Church, but very quickly also had the Roman Catholic Church, Presbyterian Church and the Methodist Church supplying and running schools. That was the school system until about the mid-19th century. So the first 60 years, all children who got an education got it through the churches. And they educated all comers, the poor, the indigenous, anyone. And by and large, the fees were low. There was subsidy from the government. In fact, one of the great decisions ever made in the history of Australia was made in 1836. Anyone, anyone know what it was? It's an Australian history question for you. Every Australian should know this, but almost nobody does. I'd say it's the most important act of parliament to this day ever passed in Australia. It's passed in 1836 in New South Wales. Yeah. No, it it close. Um, it's called the Church Act. It was passed by Governor Burke, one of the great governor. He was governor of New South Wales in the 1830s. Great man. Again, about one in Australia in a thousand would know who he is. We don't know our history the way the Americans know it. For example, Richard Burke was like the equivalent of Thomas Jefferson in America, but no one's ever heard of him. He decided in 1836 that all of the four major churches, Anglican, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, would be treated equally and would all be funded by the state equally. There's no question in Australia of having a system like that in England or worse still in Ireland where you've got one dominant church and everyone else is in a minority, a despised minority, that's a recipe for division, sectarianism, hatred, war. The reason it didn't happen in Australia because of that act of parliament. And very eminent historians have traced our whole egalitarian tradition, our whole fair-go ethic to, to that decision. And I think it's, I think it's a good point. So, of course, what it meant, among other things, was that all of the four basic uh, Christian denominations, as, as well as Jewish people, I might add, who were there from the beginning, and later still the Lutherans and others who went to South Australia, um, were all treated equally. And most of the, early, the greatest early teachers of the colonial period were devout Christians from the from the churches. So that's how our school system got started. But then in the 1860s, 1870s, we had another momentous event which shaped our history, all related to the school system. Anyone know what that was? What happened in the 1860s, 1870s? In all six colonies. Well, the last... It happened later, slightly later in Western Australia. The government withdrew funding from all church schools. It's 
So the churches were told, um, if you want to run your own schools, you've got to pay for them yourselves, somehow. Catholics set up their own system, which persists to this day, and they did it on a voluntary basis. So that all of the teachers were volunteers, the brothers and nuns and so on. That's how they kept it going. It's their great institution. The Protestant churches dropped the ball. What they thought was going to happen was that the state schools would become like de facto Protestant schools. And that's kind of how it worked for a long time. But eventually, and, many, and a few far-sighted people saw this, eventually what it led to was the secularisation the taking of religion out of education, out of state schools. It took decades to happen in full, but finally, in or about the 1950s, 1960s, we, we, re- we reached that point. And it intensifies every decade to the point where in places like Victoria, they've actually not only banned the teaching of religion in class, in the normal lessons, the banned scripture in school hours. And that's the trend. That's the trend. It all goes back to those education debates in the 1860s, 1870s. Now, the decision was made not because lots of people hated Christianity and wanted it out of schools. That wasn't the problem. Uh, The problem was the churches couldn't cope with all of the children logistically there had to be government schools so that every child got an education and that was a very laudable aim and almost no one disagreed with that. The argument was about what sort of Christianity are the the children going to be taught in state schools? And the churches couldn't agree. Terrible arguments between, mainly along Protestant Catholic lines, but not exclusively. They couldn't agree... So irreligion won by default. This is a great tragedy in our history. You had a hundred years of Catholic-Protestant tensions, mainly around that issue. Because Protestants, hard to believe now, the Protestant churches fiercely opposed state aid to church schools and their main reason was because Catholic schools will get the money. We're better off not having it ourselves and hoping the Catholic schools will somehow die out. <laughs> they did. That, that was the argument. It's a disgraceful argument. And, it, and, and um, it wasn't until the 1960s that state aid to church schools was revived. Some of you will remember that. It's the greatest joint achievement of Sir Robert Menzies and Gough Whitlam on the two sides of politics to restore government funding to religious schools. All right, that's a bit of an excursion into history. Um, And um, I'll I'll, I'll leave it there. But I'm just going to quote from the words of one of our great founding fathers. Again, most Australians don't know who their founding fathers are. Anyone in the room know who Sir John Forrest was? Sir John Forrest. 
Okay. He is arguably, well, more than arguably, the greatest West Australian, who, one of the greatest West Australians. He was, he was the Premier of Western Australia throughout the 1890s. And without him, it's quite probable that Western Australia wouldn't have joined the Federation. Australia would have had a line through the middle of it. Um, and who knows what would have happened. Probably the French would have taken Perth and, and we would have become a, a split continent. That's probably what would have happened. Any, anyway, um, so John Forrest, uh, he, was one, he was also an inland explorer as a young man. He mapped out a lot of the desert. He worked out that most of inland Australia was desert and basically uninhabitable. Anyway, Western Australia was the last colony to do away with state aid to religious schools. It had been done everywhere else in the east. And in the 1890s, they were, there was big pressure on forests to do the same in WA. And they had a big debate about it in Parliament. And Forrest was against it. He wasn't a particularly religious man, by the way, by the standards of the day. He was sort of a nominal Anglican, but not a particularly religious man. But he, he actually fought against it. And he was ultimately defeated. But his argument was this. Just quote you a couple of lines out of his speech in Parliament. He said, he said to his opponents, look, if youngsters are not taught some religion at school, they probably will not get it afterwards. So he's talking here in 1894. Right? And this is in an era when virtually... 100% of the population identified as Christian. But even in 1894, he could see this. If youngsters are not taught some religion at school, they probably will not get it afterwards. And then he asked his opponents, do you wish to see the rising generation brought up without any religious teaching at all? He picked it. Picked it 120 years ago. That's exactly what has happened. So two-thirds of our children are educated in state schools. My experience of state schools, admittedly, was a while ago now, 1970s. Uh, but certainly, I got no religious education to speak of. And I went, to good, I went to good state schools. We had our one period of scripture, as we called it, which was regarded uniformly as a joke, except among the uh, a few stalwart Christian kids who, you know, would sort of felt sorry for. And this is, this is not for a second to underplay the importance of um, scripture classes. I have the greatest admiration for the volunteers who go in and try and do it, but it's not the answer. It's not the answer. It's not the main problem. The main problem is the compulsory curriculum in both state and church schools. I'll just say a tiny bit about church schools. Um, we've got to divide the Catholic and the rest. To this day, the Catholic system takes religion the most seriously. There's no doubt about that. But even the Catholic schools aren't what they used to be. Um, Protestant schools are a very strange mixture. Uh, at, the, at the elite end... For a start, they've become prohibitively expensive to 95% of the population. I still I shudder to think the amount of money I spent 
putting my girls through elite Protestant girls' schools. And I sometimes wonder whether it was worth it because, frankly, although they got a great education in technical respects, you know, the curriculum and passport to a high income and so forth, even the church schools at that elite end, religion's just an add-on. It's, it's, way, it's way down the list of priorities. I know there are honourable exceptions to that rule, but I still think that's basically the reality. The low-fee Protestant schools are an interesting breakthrough. They, they're kind of 100 years after the Catholics did it in the late 19th century. In the late 20th century, we started to get this burgeoning of the low-fee Protestant schools, and, and they're the future. I'm convinced, if not for them, our levels of religious belief and practice would be even lower than, that, than they are now. They, 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 are, they are the future. If you care, if you care about the future of Christianity and if you care about our children and young adults being put in a position, as I said at the beginning, put in a position to learn the basics at school and emerge as a, as a young adult with at least some knowledge of the questions you need to ask yourself questions that all adults are fed income about um, who are not disinterested in a life of pure head in the sand hedonism but really want to think about the deepest questions. Like anything else in life, it's so much harder to teach yourself something as an adult. Anyone who's tried to learn a foreign language as an adult uh, a sport as an adult, you know, it's so much harder. You've got to be taught the basics as a child or at least as a a late teenager university student because after that it becomes too hard. Time, money and effort involved is just... and your brain just isn't working as well. So Science proves that. It's it's in those early years when you soak it up. And um, I'm convinced that our children need to be taught, and I'm not talking here, I'm not talking here, I stress, about confessional religion, about church schools doing a better job of actually, um, as it were, encouraging Christian belief. I mean, that, that's a role for church schools, it's not a role for state schools. I, I accept that. But the myth is that the state schools have no role in teaching children about religion, because it's a vital part of knowledge. It's a vital part of history. It's a vital part of knowledge of your country, of literature, of science. You just can't understand the world unless you understand religion. And you can't understand the West unless you understand Christianity. And the curriculum just isn't set up to teach those things except in a very piecemeal and inadequate fashion, in my opinion. So, look, I'll leave it there because I want to leave plenty of time for questions. There may be things you heartily disagree with. I'm very, I'm very happy to take questions um, on anything I've touched upon or anything in this sheet. So, thank you for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'll give Roy a chance to just catch his breath and take a glass of water. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Very stimulating. And mm-hmm. um, uh, perhaps there are questions that you've noted down as Roy's been speaking. Now's your opportunity to ask those questions. If you want to ask questions, just pop your hand up. And we've got a mic here. I'll come around and uh, you can ask your, mi- your question into the mic. I think it, it says mute. Mute on, mute off. There we go. Can I just test this one? See what I'm working, Rog? This one working? This one working? How about that? Sorry. I had an initial question for you, Roy. Uh, you said that uh, in the public education system we should teach religion. Uh, to, in my mind, the next logical question is who should teach it? Should it be those who are detached from religious experience and can look at it in an objective way, or should it be those who participate in religious experience? Should Christians be teaching about Christianity, or should it be uh, someone uh, who has a detached and objective understanding of Christianity? I think ideally it should be the teacher. It, sh- it should be the classroom teacher. Um, just as they have to teach maths, whether they like it or not, have to teach, this is in primary school, have, have to teach English or music, whether they like it or not. Um, because I'll tell you why. Children love their teachers. They, they, they respect them, they look up to them. For children, their teachers are the th- third person in their life. And... They also, especially when they get to high school, by and large are ambitious. If a, if a subject is not examined, the kids won't take it seriously, unless it's sport. Um, it has to be part of the curriculum, and it has, to, it has to be therefore taught primarily by the teacher. Now, of course, there's a role for um, Christians uh, with a ministers or other qualified people, scripture teachers to come in and teach traditionally what we call uh, scripture or SRE. Um, But that's not primarily what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm. Like, like most things, it's, uh, it's ultimately a function of government. Um, so, and this is how all great movements in history start, at the grassroots level. You, you, enough people have to make their views known to their local member of parliament and um, change opinion. It's a, it's a very hard process, uh, often a slow process, but um, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Uh, you can do it through the media. I mean, just by saying these things, you can see how hard it is <laughs> because uh, our media is now dominated, not exclusively, but a lot by people who have no sympathy or understanding of these matters. 
a lot of our politicians are in that category, but, but don't give up on them. There, there are a lot of politicians at state and federal level who, who care about these things in both parties, both major parties. Um, that, that's, how, that's how change is ultimately affected through, the, through our political system. That, that, that's just how it works. Um, but usually it's preceded by a long period of, of, of debate and, and agitation. Hmm. Hmm. Um, as a parent who hasn't had children get to school yet, do you, primary and pastoralisation, might be different have systems that you think are best for reducing schools for our children, or ones that you need them, particularly those who are going for the ones that are educating Christian teachers to be together? Sure. Um, gee, ask me, a, ask me an easy one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, if I was starting again, so my, my, my girls are all young adults or late teens now, but um, if I was starting again, I would not spend a small fortune on an elite private school, but nor would I send them to a state school. Uh, I'd pick one of the low-fee independent schools uh, that could convince you by more than just a glossy brochure that they take the teaching of Christianity and not just Christianity, uh, learn about all the major religions of the world, to teach about take religion seriously. Mm. That'd be that'd be my advice for for what it's worth. Mm. <laughs> Yep. And I know we stand on the shoulders of great saints of the Christian ethos and the Christian way. Um, but we now in our population have about 20, one in 30 percent of the adults of other cultures now and a lot of traditions and faiths which have flourished and been golden eras just like Christianity has been. How do we start to say, speak to our politicians and not saying yeah, I couldn't agree more for a couple of reasons. One, because I believe it's right. I mean, going back to my theme of a fair go, a fair go for young Australians, um, they ought to be told the basics about all the major faiths. Secondly, because that message is, from a canny sort of political perspective, more likely to be successful. So, look, this isn't about Christian indoctrination. We, we, we just feel this is a vital area of human knowledge that all uh, school students should know something about. Uh, if you look around the world, religion is actually on the rise. It's only, it's only in the West that its influence is waning. So to understand the world, you've got to understand these things. It's as important as learning maths, science, how to spell and read. It, re it, it, it really is. That's, that's, that's how I'd pitch it. Mm. Inevitably, uh, in Australia, 
particularly when you're talking about history, the focus will be on Christianity because that's just the fact. Um, but as you say, sir, um, our demographics are changing. Uh, I'll just point out one thing. The percentage of people in Australia practising other religions is still extremely low. It, it, it tends to get exaggerated, especially by shock jocks and, and others. So can anyone tell me just off the top of their head what percentage of Australians are Muslim? Two. Very good. Very good. Yeah, 2% two, two is the answer, yeah. 2.5. 2.5 to be precise. Um, it's, not even the, it's not even the most popular other religion. Anyone know what that is? Yeah. Well, it would be atheism if atheism was counted. Yeah. And atheism is a religion. It is, it is a world view. That's another, that's another myth that when people say, oh, religion should be completely out of schools, no, no, no place for religion. That's a religious position. Because what you're really arguing for is atheism by default. Or ignorance, or ignorant agnosticism. That's what I was until the age of 35, an, ig an ignorant agnostic. Not, not an atheist by choice. Um, so just getting back to my point about other religions here, yeah, so it's roughly 2.5% of each of uh, Islam, Buddhism, Buddhism I think has already passed Islam, and Hinduism. It's about 7% of the population. Mm. But I will say this, uh, a far higher percentage of that percentage take their religion seriously than do Christians. So we've got this number in our last census of 52% Christian, but that is an extremely soft number. I mean, the, the percentage of Australian Christians who actually attend a church service on any kind of regular basis is, is, is tiny. It's in the single, num single figures. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, so there's a lot of scepticism on religion uh, as a result of recent kind of world admission to the child abuse in churches. Um, and so how can, just thinking, like how can we respond to that to say, Yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a terrible dilemma. It's, it, it's the, the sex abuse scandal is right up there with the great tragedies of the 20th century in, in terms of the churches just doing their best to kill themselves. And there's no excuse. I mean, there's just no excuse. Uh, the, 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 the only points you can say... Um, it is historic, so 
the worst of it does seem to have finished in or about the 1980s, possibly earlier. Um, it's not any longer the situation. Um, the way I like to characterise that whole scandal is that it, it, it doesn't discredit the teachings of Christ. If, it, if anything, it heightens their truth, the, the, the existence of evil in the world, the corruption of all people, the need for salvation. Um, it's the fact that these human institutions didn't live up to those beliefs rather than the falsity of the, of the beliefs themselves. But that, that is a very difficult argument to sell to, to sceptics. In the short term, I think the churches just have to be generous. Another thing that gets my goat up is, and, I, and I've got to say, particularly, the, I love the attitude of the Tasmanian Anglican Church. Did anyone read about that? The Anglican churches in Tasmania said, right, we're selling half our churches so that we can fund a generous compensation scheme for the victims. Whereas other churches shall remain nameless, uh, have done the very opposite, you know, hired teams of horrible corporate lawyers and insurers to work out the best way of keeping their money safe. Um, obviously, it's the Tasmanian Anglicans who ought to be our example, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> Corporate life, uh, with, um, say, for example, AMP. Also, in sporting life has just been reviewed this week and released around the culture of the Australian cricket team. Uh, to what extent are we seeing, um, in your mind, the effect of a distancing uh, in our society array from Christian roots and the way in which um, an understanding of Christianity had a very Significant role in the shaping the moral character of our nation. Touch on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's one of the themes of post-God nation. Take the AMP. So, AMP society was actually established in the mid-nineteenth century in Sydney by extremely devout Christians. It wasn't a business. It was a. It was a friendly society as they were called in those days. You know, the idea was that ordinary people would pool their money so that in times of difficulty, whether it be ill health or unemployment or whatever, uh, you know, there would be a fund there to help people. That, that was the basic idea. Um, it was motivated by Christians, mainly dissenters, actually, mainly non-Anglicans, uh, Methodists, Congregationalists and, and the like. Um, and we've seen in 150 years how... So that were the original roots of that society. AMP is now just a, corp, a global corporate conglomerate, you know, run like all other global corporate conglomerates for one reason only, and that's to make money. And not even to make money... Well, to make money primarily for the executives running it and... Secondly, for shareholders, um, with everyone else a very long way last. And 
um, completely divorced, of course, from its original Christian aims. And I'd say the same thing about the Australian cricket team. Um, and the, the, the common denominator in all this, frankly, is money. I, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it from the inside. I lived in that world for, for 20 years. And it, it is a very ugly world. Um, and it's getting worse, not better. We've learnt nothing from the GFC. There's another one coming. I don't have any doubt about that. Um, it's because we've learnt nothing about, about, about the forces of greed and the need to pull them in. And the problem is, if individual human beings don't have an inner conscience, an, in, an inner core of values to withhold them, even the law is helpless. Because there'll always be smart lawyers to try and argue around it or after the fact, you know, get, get people off. Um, it's got to come. It's got to come from within. That's the only reason. The if you look at the history of capitalism, uh, very big subject. But it 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 too can't be understood without a knowledge of the of the Christian roots behind it. Because if you take away that sense of trust, it doesn't work. The black letter law is not enough. Same in cricket. I mean, cricket used to be an amateur game. People played it for the love of it. Now it's a big business and that's why people cheat. It's as simple as that. Their, their, their contracts are, are at risk. It's all about money. John Wesley said it. Best founder of Methodism, my, my Christian hero. John Wesley said, I hope I'm quoting correctly, um, genuine Christianity cannot help but produce Prosperity. 